preached to us. Well, good morning. Try again. <laughs> well, I've just been on holiday with Paul. <laughs> I've, I uh, kept taking lots of photographs of him and saying, when I come to Hastings, we're just going to keep showing lots of photos of uh, you having meals out, which is all we did for the entire week. And uh, I've actually sent one photo through to the team here, which I'm sure you will use at some point in the future. Uh, but actually, I had a great time with him, really enjoyed uh, his great company. He does ask lots of questions, and uh, there was about a thousand questions in an hour. Uh, but it's just brilliant being with him. We spent the first uh, three days uh, going to a conference in Romania, in Brasov, uh, with Dave Holden. And uh, joined in, there was about 17 different churches that were involved in the conference. We kind of got involved in that, met the leaders of the church, fantastic leaders of the church in Brasov. Uh, clearly, you could see the benefit of having someone like Dave. Uh, Dave Holden involved for the past 10, 15 years, just excellent church, brilliant. We left there on a Saturday morning and drove south. And uh, we went to Bulgaria for the remaining three days, uh, where there's uh, good friends of mine, uh, Emil and Nick, are leading a church in Silistra. Great time with them, Uh, good for Paul to be introduced to them and just life uh, across the border. So I went on my first cruise on the Danube with Paul, uh, much to the frustration of probably both of our wives. But to say it was a cruise is probably a little bit of an exaggeration. It was a car ferry from one side to the other. It was a a no-frills, cheap budget crossing uh, across the Danube into Bulgaria. But brilliant, great time. And uh, just great to be involved in seeing what's taking place uh, into some of the churches in Europe. And actually, really, on a friendship level, I just so enjoyed being with Paul. And uh, he sends his greetings, and he's looking forward to seeing you after his six weeks holiday. (laughs) I'm going to be heading down into Ezekiel chapter 47 shortly which is a familiar passage if you're a Christian here, and if you've been a Christian for some time, uh, you will know uh, a little bit about Ezekiel chapter 47. Ezekiel himself was a man who was used by God. Uh, It's a very strange book in many places, and you'll read it and you go, God asked Ezekiel to do some very unusual things, and he was obedient, and as a result, brought a real blessing. But uh, virtually this time uh, last week, virtually this time last week, I was knocking on Paul's hotel bedroom, uh, to say to him uh, that it's time to go and visit the, the church that we were preaching in. And he came to the door a little bit bleary-eyed. Uh, I'd woken him up. We were meant to be leaving. And, uh, but we left a few minutes later to have a, a little bit of a tour of the Silistra. And if you know Silistra, you, uh, it's right on the banks of the Danube. The Danube uh, starts 2,500 miles uh, earlier on in its life in the Black Forest in Germany, flows eastwards all the way through to... Uh, the Black Sea and uh, Bulgaria and Silistra is one of the last places it goes to before entering into uh, the Black Sea. But as I was going around the tour, it was almost like 
this scenario where, where I was standing on the banks of the river and I'm saying to Paul, Paul, do you see it? And Paul's looking around and, and blank, look at, well, well, I can see the tank because there's this Russian tank that is, is in the kind of the, this garden. Now I can see the, no, 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 the tank, do you see it, Paul? And he said, no, no, I can see this statue of some communist leader that, that has once ruled this whole area. No, no, Paul, do you see it? And he says, no, what, what do you mean, do you see it? So, Paul, do you see the river? Vast river. 500 at least metres wide, flowing uh, tens of thousands of uh, gallons of water flowing by into, uh, into the, uh, the Black Sea. And it's kind of a ridiculous scenario to be thinking, of course I see, you can hardly miss it. And you step out of where the church meets in Silistra, and, and it's there right in front of you. Now, you would think that's obvious. But as we read this story of another river that through was flowing out of the temple of God, flowing eastwards into the Dead Sea, the man who was accompanying Ezekiel, and you'll pick it up in verse 6 in a minute, says, Ezekiel, do you see this? He didn't want him to miss it. Something that could be so obvious actually can still be so easily overlooked. And, and some of the points I want to make today, you might think, Graham, they are just obvious. But for the sake of everyone else, I just kind of want to mention them. Because however obvious they are, sometimes we can miss it. Now, part of my team over in Eastbourne, uh, I've got a great Bible teacher. Uh, he's been across here a few times, Andrew. Andrew just loves the Bible and he will walk around with his, with his head in the Bible the whole time to the point that he sometimes doesn't see anything else that is going on around him. And there was a, a joining the church course recently and in the joining the church course, people were coming along to it. And uh, I, I turned up a little bit late just to see who was in the room. And uh, he, he, he was teaching away. And, and as I came into the room, I had to step over a hoover. There was a hoover right in the doorway. And I said to, to him eventually, Andrew, didn't you think of moving the hoover out of the way? And he turned around to me and said, what hoover? <laughs> now, we kind of have a lot of fun and enjoy being in each other's company and and uh, so we decided to play a little joke on him one day. And we placed into his office quite a large object to see how long it would take for him to notice. Six weeks went by, <laughs> and he still had not noticed it in his office. So eventually we gave up and said, Andrew, have you not noticed something unusual in your office? And uh, he said, what, really? No, no. And he went in and he came out, is it this? And he came out with a laptop bag. No, it's not the laptop bag. And he went back in and he came out with something quite smart. Is it this? I've never seen this before. No, no, it's not that, Andrew. <laughs> and he went in and a third time, no, Andrew, it's not that. He said, well, I don't know, what is it? Six weeks earlier, we had placed into his room, no kidding, it was six foot tall tree. <laughs> right in the middle of his room. And he came out with this six foot tree he went, I've never seen this before. How long has that been there? <laughs> Things that can seem very obvious to many can actually be quite easily overlooked. And as we read this story of Ezekiel 47, I want to pick up on five things. I want to look at the direction of the river. I want to look at the depth of the river. I want to look at the impact of the river. I want to look at the fruits that the river produces. And finally, I want to look at the freshness of the water that is in the river. So 
So we're going to pick it up, Ezekiel chapter 47. I think the words are going to come up behind me. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east. For the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again he measured a thousand and uh, it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through and he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. And when the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so that everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Enaglaim, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of many kind, like the fish of the great sea. But its swamps and its marshes will not become fresh. They are to be left for salt. And on the banks, on the banks of the sides of the river... There will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. So we're seeing this amazing vision picture that is unfolding. When we're talking about the, the river, this river that's flowing from the temple out towards the Dead Sea. Kind of my understanding, and this is where I'm coming from today, when we refer to this river, it's the life-giving presence of God. Wherever the river flows, the life of God flows with it. And wherever the river flows, it teems with life, abundant life. But the first thing I kind of want to look at is actually the direction of the river. We see that it's flowing from the temple and it's flowing eastwards. It, it is basically, it's flowing out across ultimately to the Dead Sea, the deadest place probably on earth where no life comes. This life-giving presence of God flows out of the temple into the worst, most barren wilderness of places. It's flowing out. In 1989, a film came out of the cinemas. Some of you might have seen it starring Kevin... Costner. It was a film called Field of Dreams where a man woke up or had this vision or had voices speak to him telling him that what he needs to do, he needs to build a baseball stadium. What he's got to do, build the stadium in the middle of nowhere, build the stadium and people will come. And the end of the film, he built the stadium and you can see the cars arriving and people came. Sometimes we can adopt that approach and attitude in the life of church. 
We can go, let's have the best building. Let's have the best worship. Let's have the best band. Let's have the best sound. Let's have the best coffee. Let's have the best car parking scene. Let's, let's do all that we can. Let's just build it and people will come. But the reality is, people don't come unless we first go. The Great Commission, the challenge for us, anyone who's a Christian, is to not sit and wait, but primarily we're to go and make. We, we, we need to be a people who are going to make. Now the day is long gone when the church, the church general stood proud in the middle of community and had such power and, and such influence. That was, that was hundreds of years ago. So we need to be in a place where we are recognising that the very flow, the life flow of God, the life-giving presence of God is not inward focused but it's clearly outward focused and it is going to the deadest regions and the deadest places. It's flowing out from here. Now, a couple of years back, uh, we ran something over in Eastbourne and one of our, uh, I think it was Easter Sunday, Uh, you may have done it here, called Cardboard Testimonies, where people are literally writing on one side of their cardboard, you know, my life was broken and falling apart, and then they would turn it over and on the other side of the the cardboard it would say, but God put me back together again. Or I was was living a life of an alcoholic, flip it over, but God has set me free. And and it was incredibly moving of a whole stage of this kind of society and proportion of people coming up one after another, holding up their card and saying, this was me, now this is me. Look, look what God has done. And I remember sitting on the front row, kind of where Sam is, and, and there was just tears that were rolling down my face, not because I'm soft, just because... I know the backstories of the people who are on the stage. Incredibly moving. Type it into YouTube. You'll see many churches that have, have used this as a testimony to what God has done. But I was so challenged and encouraged recently that a church had done this uh, one Sunday morning and there was a 17-year-old girl who was sitting in the congregation and said, do you know what, I don't just want to do this inside a church. I want to go and do this where I am during the day. And she was in a school college and she arranged for the other Christians, her peers, in that school to one day do this cardboard testimony in the assembly in front of the entire school. Again, type it in on YouTube, you'll see it there. It's a kind of a poor recording because someone's just got a, a mobile phone recording it, but it's on. It's kind of like this recording testimony of, of this amazing occasion where one by one teenagers will come and stand in front of all of their peers and say, look, this was me and I turned it over and now this is me. And then as the story went on, one teacher would join in with their own bit of cardboard and there's one bit, I used to be a bully. This is a teacher. I used to be a bully and then, then I met the love of God. And right at the end of, of this whole kind of performance, the head teacher stood up with his bit of cardboard and came and stood there. And so there was 40 or so people stood at the front of the assemblies just giving testimony to the glory of God. thing is, the river is flowing out. The life-giving presence of God. Where the river flows, life comes. The river isn't to flow in, the river is to flow out. And when we're flowing out, we are taking the very life of God with us. For some, it's obvious. For others, we just kind of need to be reminded that we are to be flowing out from here. The second thing I want to look at is the depth of the river. Did you see it in the story? It starts off kind of a trickle. 
And then it goes to kind of ankle deep and knee deep and waist deep and eventually it's so deep that it is way over the head and they cannot cross it. I don't want us to overlook the importance of the gradual things of God. I have been, for as long as I can remember being a Christian, been praying for a great revival to take place in this nation. I would come into prayer meetings, the revival, pray for revival, break for the suddenness, break for the big breakout of God. I used to love reading stories of George Whitfield, where he would be standing in a field with 100,000 people in front of him and coal miners with blackened faces from the pits having, having their tear stains uh, washing the, the coal off their face and stories of John Wesley preaching out in the open just remarkable, waiting to see God let the day come when you suddenly break out I just want to mention that as much as we long for that day is actually let's not overlook the graduals of what God is doing. Because he is doing. Just your own story. What is taking place here. Your own testimony, your own cardboard story of what God has done. These are the gradual things which can so easily get missed. Because we're waiting for the big thing and yet actually what we're not seeing is the individual lives. The people are coming along to Alphas who accidentally park up in a car park and, and suddenly they're getting caught up in the flow of God and the life-giving presence of God. Let's not overlook the importance and significance of those things. Because God's at work. God is at work and is gradually at work. The problem is if we're just waiting for the suddenness and we start chasing around all over the place for the next big thing, we can actually miss and lose sight of what God is doing here quite quietly, quite gradually, but the river is going deeper. Let's not get frustrated chasing, looking for the next thing, without seeing actually what God is doing right here. Uh, just so encouraged recently, I think it was about ten years ago, there was a survey taken within the Christian churches within the UK. It's a survey that they've taken on a number of occasions, and about ten years ago, the, the statistics from the survey were pretty hopeless. They were quite dire, really, in terms of their predictions of what was going to happen in the life of church in the UK, uh, saying, in effect, that within a, a decade or two, there will be no church in the UK. So, excitingly, ten years on, a recent survey that has been carried out, there's pockets of this nation right now, especially in London, which was once seeing a decline in terms of attendance into a church, not only slowing down and bottoming out, but now beginning to climb once again. Let's not overlook what God is doing. So the river is flowing out and the river is getting deeper. The third thing is that this river, look at the impact that the river has. Wherever the river went, abundant life came. So that the river was full of fish of all varieties and all types. I love the fact that the life-flowing breadth of God gives absolute diversity that is united as one. I love the breadth of diversity that the Christian gospel can illustrate so well. But I love the fact that whole communities were being affected. So, hey, on all banks of the river and by the sea, there was fishermen and coming along because it was just influencing and affecting. Now, within our culture, to live by the waterfront is kind of a leisure posh thing. I have my waterfrontage. In many developing countries, water is of such importance because their entire life is based on the river. 
We have good friends of ours over in Eastbourne who started a project down in the Amazon Basin. They travelled there one day so that there was no schooling. There was loads of communities living right by the Amazon, no schooling, no education, no, and, and they were always caught in this perpetual cycle, and so they decided to start schools on the banks of those rivers. And I think to date they've started, built 13 schools within these different communities. So dependent upon the river, but the river changes people's lives. And as the river is flowing out, and as the river is getting deeper, the greater the impact. It's not just ones or twos, individuals' lives, but it's whole communities that are now suddenly getting changed as a result of this life-giving river. As it's flowing out, as it's, in your situation, flowing from the ridge in Hastings, out and about, whether that's in, as a church corporate, whether that is in a sense into your community missional groups, whether that is you as an individual into your own communities, whether that is even with your neighbours. Look, there's an impact that comes from here, which is changing, which can incredibly influence and shape the environment in which you are living. Some of you will know uh, a man called Dave Dean. Dave, up until recently, used to live in, uh, well, part of the Eastbourne Church. He's one of the elders over there. And then a little while ago, earlier on this year, they moved to go to Zimbabwe. Now, if anyone who knows Dave knows that he is a fix-it man, if he sees a problem, he has to fix it. Now, here's a man who has loved God and has been passionate about God, and uh, both in the mid-60s and was still an adventure for God. And let's go down into Zimbabwe, Bulawayo, let's support the church that we're connected with. Uh, we want to start agricultural programs and uh, some micro-enterprises as well as support the church and schooling and all these sort of things. And Dave has gone in, and do you know what? The problem is with Dave, being the fix-it man, is currently trying to fix Africa on his own and he's finding it really tough because he can't and yet what he doesn't realise that where he is flowing he and June are going actually lives are being fixed all around him he was in a position recently where he was able to stop a factory from closing a clothing factory which uh, there's 150 local people who are employed by this factory and by his involvement and intervention it's now no longer closing there was a hairdresser, which is very ironic, if you know Dave, because he's the one who least needs a hairdresser in the room. But he saved a hairdressing from, from closing down. Why? Because he could just put some management principles into place. The whole food programme and the agricultural programme and, 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 and introduction of chicken farms and things like this, suddenly, without him even noticing, he's beginning to fix people's lives. So here we've got an individual or a couple who have travelled from here in their mid-60s who are now affecting and influencing and fixing situations thousands of miles away. Why? Because where the life of God goes brings blessing and abundance. We have that opportunity. Together, we have the opportunity as the whole community is impacted and affected. But don't underestimate the personal involvement that we've got as well. The effect that we can have. The influence, the, the blessing and the abundance. I, I love that, that, that passage I think I preached on before out of Jeremiah that just talks about the seeking the welfare of the city in which you're living in. In a whole hostile environment, these people are being ripped out of their homeland with families destroyed and carted off into exile and end up in Babylon and God speaks to them and says, this is how I want you to live in the city. What do you mean? These people who have been awful and treacherous and, 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 and 
dissolved our families and you've now wrenched us out of our homeland and how do you want us to live and behave towards these people? Seek their welfare. Seek their blessing. Be good to them. Let them know that if you're not there, they would notice that you're not there. And my encouragement once again here today is let the people of Hastings notice if we are not a part of this community. Because this community will be affected as a result of where the river flows. So we looked at the direction, we've looked at the depth, we've looked at the impact. Following on from that, I want you to look at the fruit of the river. We pick it up in verse 12. Their fruit will be for the food and their leaves for the healing. So in this sense of the abundance and the good news message is that the food will provide for those who are hungry and the leaves will be providing healing. I kind of don't think it's any mistake that right in God's heart is his heart for the disadvantaged. For those who need food and those who need healing. When Jesus stood up and, or came into uh, the synagogue and preached his very first sermon, he got hold of another Old Testament passage. He read out of Isaiah and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news, see captives free, to see blind people see. And then he said, you know, Today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. The very passage that Jesus was preaching about was good news to the poor, for the disadvantaged. It was great news for those who were held into captivity because it brought freedom from their disadvantage. And it was for the healing for those who were sick. So not only are we to be a people who just talk about it, but we're also to be a people who demonstrate and act on it and to demonstrate the justice, heart and compassionate God in who we've met. See, the river is flowing out in abundance and bringing life and fixing and changing situations. But there is also something of God's heart and character that should be and ought to be reflected in how we're living it out. God's heart for justice and compassion and mercy, we need to be the ones who are now demonstrating compassion and heart of God and mercy. I love the story that when Jesus tried to get the the Pharisees of the day tried to catch Jesus out one day and asked him a load of questions but he went back for a meal one day and in this meal they tried to set him up and he just turns around to them and gives his parable story to them and says, you know, there was once a man uh, who was hosting a party, he sent out the invites out and he said, went out to the rich landowner and he went out to uh, various other well-to-do people within the community and all of them turned around and said, we can't come to the wedding, I've just got a new field, I've got myself a new wife, I've just bought myself some new cows, I can't come to the wedding. The master, the one who was hosting the party, got kind of really cross about this, turned to his uh, servants and said to them, go out into the highways and the byways, go and pick up and find whoever you want because my party is going to be full. And it was filled with the undesirable. It was filled with the disadvantage. It was filled with the people that often we would look around and go, how on earth could these people be included in the party? But the reality is, none of us have deserved to be in the party ourselves. It's only the grace of God. There's no red carpet treatment for any of us. It's just the red blood of Jesus that got any of us in. And so actually, his grace has been shown to us, show it to others. His mercy has been given to us, show mercy, his compassion, be compassionate. 
demonstrate now the justice and the compassion and the mercy and the grace and the love of God to the people that we meet. Why? Because that is who God is. And this really is good news. And so the river is flowing out. The river is getting deeper. The river is impacting. But look at the fruit that this river can produce. And this is the life-giving nature of God which is now flowing within us. The final fifth point I want to comment on I want to say look at the freshness of the water a number of times in the passage it says you know where the fresh water flowed abundance came and the importance of this water is that it was fresh in 1972 a project developer called Steve Sasson went to his employers and said to his employers I've come up with this new invention which I think you should take a look at And his employees were a company called Kodak. Many of you would have heard of Kodak. Kodak, the biggest producers in in films, photography. And he went to them in 1972 with a prototype demonstration of what a digital camera was going to look like. And And he stood in front of an audience and demonstrated it and it was kind of some bits that were cobbled together from old bits of electronics and this old basic introduction of a computer and attached to some television screen and the questions were asked. They said, who on earth would want to look at a little screen to see a photograph? However, he went on, carried on developing it to the point in the early 1990s he had developed a compact digital camera. Now, the previous one was huge. There was nothing compact about it but he managed to produce a compact digital camera, went back to them and said, look, I really genuinely believe now that this is the way forward. They looked at it and said, no, we don't think it's the future. We think people will still be investing into films. Two months ago, Kodak went into administration, trying to sell off bits of the unprofitable parts of the company. From the company that was the world's leader has now become defunct because they were not alert and aware to the fresh ideas that were coming through. It's so important, church, that we remain fresh, open to what God is saying. Sometimes we can get stuck into old patterns and old routines and traditions that it's always worked and this is how we've always done it and for the last 10 years this has happened and yet actually what we don't realise is that 10 years ago it might have happened but not now. Or God might not be saying this for now. He's moving us on into kind of a fresh way, a fresh direction. Unless we're open to God, we're going to miss it. Unless we're hearing his prophetic, his whisper into the church's ear, we're going to miss what he's wanting us to do. Of course we've always done it like that. Of course we might have our preferences. Of course we like it. You know, I, I, I like my seat. I like my seat. Do you always sit in your seat? Have you got your favourite seat? Sometimes we can have favourite things that happen. Why? Because it suits us and suits me. But the thing is, God is not asking us to live like that any longer. And we now need to be open to where is God taking us? Where are you now leading us? What do you want for the next five years? Where do you want us to be in ten years' time? Help us to keep in step with you. Now, there's going to be some things that stop us. Now, in this passage, we read about the salt marshes and the swamps. Well, how do they develop? It's when there's an overflow of the river where it bursts its banks and deposits water. Problem is, when the water recedes, these deposits remain there and before long what was fresh becomes stagnant. What had life in it no longer has life in it. What it needs to happen is for the water to be reconnected with a fresh source once again. And to be honest, we need to be flowing in the freshness of God. 
So often in my own life, I've got into a mode or into a model, I know how to do things and this is how we do it. But it might not be how God is wanting it to be done and it certainly is not fresh. We need to be open to God. We need to be open and being fresh in God. Honestly, we need to be being refreshed in him. Why? Because there's no hope of us flowing out, being the life of God, unless there's life of God inside us. We're not carriers of the life of God unless the life's in us. And how can we impact the community unless there's something of the God's breath upon us? How can we influence society? How can we have a knock-on effect into the communities that we are loving, but how can we really transform unless there's a life of God inside us? How can there be fruit that, that sees remarkable transformation of not just communities, but individuals' lives that are, need to be totally... T- how can we unless we've got the freshness of God inside us? So we need to be people who are open to the Spirit. Not methods. Not methodology. Not the best sound and the best band and the best this and the best that and the best the other, but completely open to the best presence of his spirit. We need to be freshed in him. And my worry and my concern over in the church that I'm a part of is that actually we become too dependent upon methods and not dependent upon his spirit. Too dependent on how we go about doing things because these methods or this situation, it works, so it's tried and tested where actually God might be saying, yeah, but just be open to my spirit. Let's be people who are of the spirit. Not having the barriers that get in the way. There's natural resistance of cynicisms and histories and backgrounds and personal preferences. Those kind of things which act as a barrier that, that to be honest, just end up with us being, with all the appearance of being filled with the Spirit and being water and being charismatic, but actually in reality there's no life. I would dread the day that we're talking about being a charismatic community where, where actually all that seems to be is all surface level fluff. But actually we might have the appearance, but underneath are we genuinely people who are being touched and refreshed with the life-giving presence of his Spirit. I thought I was going to have my dreams fulfilled last year. I've always dreamed of going whitewater rafting. I love the idea of going on this dinghy down a dangerous river over waterfalls, little ones. (laughs) And uh, just over a year ago, I was invited out to a conference in South Africa, and when I read up on this place that we were going to, I suddenly came across this link that said, this town hosts the best place for whitewater rafting in the whole of South Africa. I thought, I've made it. This is it. We got all excited about it. We turned up in this place in South Africa, went to the place, here's my money, I want to go rafting. And they said, sorry, sir, the river is broken. (laughs) I have no idea how you break a river, but it was broken. So there was no whitewater rafting for me. Uh, it was somewhere up in the mountains where the dam had been shut down and they were diverting the water. And, uh, and it's closed for a month and never mind. It's fine. I had a family holiday. We were invited out to Italy. Went out to Italy. Guess what? Within an hour of the resort where we were staying, up in the mountains, whitewater rafting. So I get in touch once again uh, in my best Italian English and contact them and say, I want to go whitewater rafting. They understood it. Good job. And he came back, see, yes, 
Yes, anyway, they came back and said, yes, you can, go whitewater rafting. And we made the arrangement. We all got there. We, we kind of put on these ridiculous-looking wetsuits and we put on the pads and life jackets and we got the boat off the trailer and we carried it down to the river and got to the river and there was no water in the river. <laughs> they hadn't opened the dam further up. Those dams on rivers need to be open. And all we were doing was wading around. We had fun wading around in ankle-deep water. But actually, it was nothing compared to the fun I should have been having. And actually, we can satisfy ourselves sometime with some of this ankle water stuff where we're just splashing around, which gets our feet wet, and we go, ooh, that's nice. But actually, it's nothing compared to what happens when the dam is turned on and the water flows and we jump into the river. Why? Because the river flows out and whole communities are impacted and we go on this great adventure in God and we see transformation of individuals and society and we see fruit of it and we see healing, we see justice, we see all this and we, and we go, oh, this is great. But how many of us are satisfied with the ankle deep stuff? We're going to come and worship God a bit more right now. But we're also going to come and pray. Because I want us to be a people who are saying, God, that's kind of where I'm at. Some of you might sort of feel that you're a bit like the stagnant water on the side, the swamp marsh. You need refreshing. Some of the barriers have come up, tradition and preferences and methods and some of these things which are getting in the way. We need God to raise the water level so the banks are broken once again. So some of those things that get in the way are kind of washed away so that we can enjoy life in him again. So really, in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to respond to him and say, God, that's me. I need to be refreshed in you. Life-giving water. On the last day of the great feast... Jesus stood up in front of the crowd and he said to them, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink and life-giving water will flow out of your heart. And then the next thing it says in John, it says, Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit who had not yet been given. We're living the other side. Pentecost Sunday next week. This is the life-giving spirit. If you want to know what life's about, come and be filled with him. Got a bit stagnant? Give the appearance of being charismatic on the surface? What's life like down below? If you want to impact community and society, want to see transformation, we need life. We need this spirit. Not methods, but him. Freshness of God. Let's stand together. Let's just lead into a song and then I'll come back and we'll pray.